I think Ron Riley or Rick called me and said, we're not having homecoming. I said, okay. So I was invited back the next year, 2021. That probably was the worst year health-wise of my life. I was down in my back really, really bad. I couldn't hardly stand in the office at home. Well, how's it thought I was holding on. Every time I moved, I was holding on to a desk or something. And finally, about a month, maybe two weeks, maybe, maybe one week, I called and said, I just can't do it. So anyway, they, uh, they, they, they've got somebody else. <laughs> Uh, the next year is 2022, and I wasn't invited that year, and I said, well, and I found out that other people had already was in the lineup, and I said, well, that's okay. You know, I really thought I might have missed my opportunity, and I was so g- glad about two months ago or three when Rick called and asked me to do this again. I was really glad until about two or three days ago, and then I was just really not very glad. Uh, as the time gets closer, it's, it's harder and harder to, uh, when you don't speak very often, it's harder to um, get focused and realize that it's all coming together. I meant to look this up. I think this church congregation started about 1898. If that was the right year, that's 125 years this year. Now, I'm old. I'm not that old, but... Uh, I can remember a lot of things. I think this building was built in 1927. Again, I'm not that old. But I have been around here a long time. Uh, I remember the first time I came to this Hormel Church of Christ. I was probably eight or nine or ten maybe, and they were having VBS. And Joe Cook Van Dyke, does anybody in here remember Joe Cook Van Dyke? Okay, two, three of you did. Joe Cook Van Dyke was a minister here, and he, I lived about three miles out towards Centerville. He came and picked up a whole bunch of kids in his car to bring them to VBS. And I was so excited to come because I'd never been here before. But I was more excited about this one statement I said. I said, oh, that is the church that you can drink all the Cokes you want to drink. You know. And uh, there in a couple of minutes, Brother Van Dyke said, now, son, that's not true. You can't drink all the Cokes you want to drink at VBS. I said, oh. He said, we serve Kool-Aid. I said, okay. He said, now you can drink all that Kool-Aid you want to drink. You know, so I was, I was tickled, but that was the first time I ever came to this church. I went to Slippery Church of Christ down in the country. We had baptisms here if it was uh, too cold. Uh, a lot of times in the creeks, a lot of times in the river or whatever. And I remember sitting about right in here uh, at one of the baptisms and my mother was baptized right here. And I remember these strange things hanging from the ceilings and I think they were where the lights were at right now but they were chandeliers if you can imagine there were chandeliers in all of this every one of those lights there was a chandelier and I've never seen anything like it but I remember I'm impressed by that when I was about 8 or 10 years old um, I was baptized here in 1964 most of y'all went around 1964 um Again, at Slippery Church across Lehman Platt was preaching, and it was a 10-day meeting. I don't, I don't know what the eight-day meeting. It was this last Sunday night of the meeting, and on probably the 27th verse of Just As I Am, y'all know how those went, went on. I finally walked down the aisle and, and uh, came forward, and I, got, I had baptized. Uh, Lehman Flat was a good friend of mine, and he had a lot of brothers that preached. One of them taught at Fred Hardeman for years and things like that. Y'all might remember him, but that was a special time. Just, uh, 
Adam, Adam knows kind of what I'm saying here. Everybody's got a story, right? This is my story. You know, that's why I'm telling it. Y'all won't remember it, but I remember it. Uh, just a few years after that, I taught my father into buying me a small little motorcycle. And um, it was a Honda 90. And I, because I wanted to get around. And pretty soon after that, I talked my father and my mother into saying, I want to come to this church uh, as a teenager. I was 14 probably. And um, I said, that's where all the kids were at. And I was tickled. So they let me drive up here on a motorcycle, uh, cold days, hot days, or whatever like that. And uh, right at the end of 1965, a friend of mine, was. he said, come on ride around with me. Him and his girlfriend were riding around. We were playing basketball on the old basketball courts. That's where the kindergarten is right now. Our old basketball courts up there. And he said, come on ride around with me. Well, I got in the car with him, and there was another girl in there. Uh, her name was Judy. And that was, uh, that was in 1965, last day of the year. I still remember that. Uh, if you want to count up between dating and marriage, uh, it's like 57 or 58 years. We dated five years to do that. I thought that record would never be broken until Rachel and our daughter started dating Ted, and I think they dated forever. And uh, Ted called us one time and said, uh, I'm going to ask Rachel to marry us. Is that to get married? Said, Is that okay? And we said, yeah. And it was about a year and a half later, you know, uh, you know, and I said, I thought he'd unchanged his mind. I didn't know what happened, you know. But uh, pretty soon after that, we were part of the youth group here. Me and Judy both were. And we had 30, 40, 50 young people that were always here. They, a lot of them, three or four of them turned out to be preachers. They, they turned out a lot of things. A lot of them were uh, wives of preachers or wives of elders or just good people. They're, they were all really good people. 1971, we were married right here. And uh, that kind of started our journey together and things like that. And um, after college, we moved back, and we moved back to Hornwall. And pretty soon we had Jenny and we had Rachel, and we all became members of the, of the church here in Hornwall. Um, it, was a, it was a great time. For about 35, 38 years, I was a Bible school teacher. I was a bus driver. Uh, I, was, I changed these light bulbs up here. Uh, on this old wooden ladder. Y'all still got that wooden ladder, Jill, do you know? Dr. Scotty, they still got that wooden ladder that's like 30 feet high. Uh, I wouldn't do that now for nothing. But I climb those ladders and change those light bulbs. Tall Bible class was deacon, was an elder, um, and just fond memories. Did a lot of VBSs, did a lot of different things here. I, I always, every time I come in, I always look, y'all gonna have to repaint one of these days. Around 20 years ago, Linda and Jimmy Diner was in charge of putting all the stuff on the walls for VBS, and they always had great things, uh, charts and beautiful drawings, and they were both artists, and just really great. But they, they taped something right up there, and I noticed that it's still got a, it pulled a paint, and it's still, it's still up there, so I, I noticed these things every time I come in this building. But uh, we have fond memories of those times. Jenny and Rachel grew up here in a young people's class. I was able to teach them in their high school class. And uh, just so many other people. Who did I see? Was it, is anybody here that I taught junior high, I mean high school? Did I say Nancy? Jill? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vicky? <laughs> now I'm now going black now and things like that. Um, but we had a good time and, and 
and I hope we learn some spiritual values here. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to work with a lot of people uh, that were preachers here. Um, Let me think who they were. Brother Faulkner, Charles Backham, Roy Arnold, Bill Davidson, King McCarver, Rocco Pierce, Steve Ridge, Bruce McIntyre, Tom Evans, all while I was attending this church was here. Now the scariest preacher I ever knew was Brother Faulkner. Brother Faulkner was getting on up in years, and we as young people got to do certain things, like lead singing, I didn't do that, where we did prayers and we did readings, and one day I was called to do the announcements, Greg, like you did, except Brother Faulkner was right here, sitting in this chair. Brother Faulkner always hand-wrote the announcements and said, here, read these announcements. I was 15. I couldn't read his writing. So if there were ten people's names I was supposed to call, if one of them was a Jones, I'd say James. And he corrected me. Out of ten, he corrected me at least eight times. And I'd say, yes, sir. And I'd repeat it. And I'd say the next one, and I'd say, he'd he'd say no, that's so-and-so. And I'd say, yes, sir. And I'd repeat it. So um, he was the scariest one to me. I think the best preacher that I ever got to work with, Greg, I didn't get to work with you, uh, that had the best content and the best lessons was Steve Reeves. He had great lessons. He had great contact. He had great presentation. I think the worst preacher, I'm not going to tell you who that is, <laughs> I think the smartest preacher was King McCarver. He was so smart into everything. He, mem- he memorized everything. He remember not only his lesson, he could quote whole chapters from memory. I thought it was, that was really something. But I had some really fond memories. I got to work with some close friends. Uh, Kay Cockrell was, was one of the best friends. She's not here today, but I got to work with her in jobs for like 25 years. Philip, I got to work with Philip when he was mayor and when he was an uh, industrial recruiter. I, I got to work with him many years and just treasure that. Ron Riley is one of my closest friends. We hunted and we fished together for 60 years now, about played sports and things like that. Uh, for you, the ones that were elders, Rick and and, uh, and Daryl and Terry, Carol and some others I got to work with real close and I, and I appreciate that. I don't think Gypsy's here but some of the best times I ever had was um, doing small groups on Wednesday night at Gypsy and Gary Swinemans and they taught, they taught me so much and we, we enjoyed the times together. All of those things added up. I've used about 15 minutes. I'm doing real good. All those times added up to mean that that's part of my spiritual story. And we all have a spiritual story. You know, back um, many, many years ago, back in the Old Testament, after Adam and Eve fell away, I think God always wanted us and wanted all of his people to go back home. He talked to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to send you to a place where... It will be your home. It will be your physical home. You know, in VBS we talked about the wandering Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were wandering Jews. Abraham really wasn't a wanderer. He was on 
a mission for God. He was he was living out his story for God. He went where God told him to go. He wasn't wandering necessarily. Pretty soon later, the, the people fell into to, uh, captivity and uh, in Egypt, kind of by uh, accident. But all they could think about was going home. Yeah, when they went into captivity years ago, uh, years after that, they went into Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity. All they really prayed for and, and wanted was to go back home. Home is something very special to all of us. So we have homecoming. And I, I'm looking around and I, I know most of you. I know your faces. But I see some faces I didn't seen before. I don't, I don't know you. But uh, I hope I get to know you. But there's something special in it about coming home. This always has been and just about always will be my home. My church home. This is where I spent most of my life. This is where I got my religious upbringing. This is where I got whatever I got. I got grounded in the faith here. And, I, and I'll, I'll never forget that. It means something to me to do that. Now, I've been going to different places in different times. Uh, about 10, 12 years ago, we found out our, we weren't seeing our grandkids very much. They moved to Columbia, so we started going to church at Murray Hills Church, and, uh, and we really enjoy that. But uh, about, about one year after we uh, were, were there, um, our children's minister left, and Judy had been volunteering a whole lot in children's ministry. That's a K through K through three, I think. And uh, next thing you know, she, she said, "Well, they want me to just take this for a while until they hire somebody." I said, "Well, that's good." She said, "And you're going to help me." So uh, for the next two years, two services and sometimes three services, we were doing children's ministry um, with K through three people, and and we had a great time. But, um, and we built a lot of good friendship with that, but Judy did a great job with that. But she was also all really, really glad when they did hire somebody else. Okay. Luke 15 is our lesson today. Luke 15, Jesus tells four stories. Really, everybody says three, but he still tells four. And um, some of them are short. And Jesus in this parable does not tell what the meanings are. So every time somebody preaches about this, pretty much they'll put in what they feel like this parables or these parables are saying, or they'll put in what they feel like that you ought to hear. And today I'm going to do a little of that, but I'm, I really want to go back to, to the main point uh, there. Uh, if you look at verse 1 and 2, that's the only one we're going to look at a whole lot. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the reason for the parable. Now we love this parable, these parables. We love the first parable about the about the, the shepherds and the sheep. Jesus told that for a very specific reason. Because people understood sheep then. They understood shepherds then. So he started out by simply saying, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one, won't he 
drop everything he's doing until he goes back and finds that one sheep. And when he finds that one sheep, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing. I'm paraphrasing. And I'm not going to read all that. Well, the people at that time, there were tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and keepers of the law or teachers of the law. That's who the audience was. It's kind of like one side was tax collectors, one side was uh, and sinners, one side was Pharisees. What in the world does this parable mean to the listeners? The shepherd had a hundred sheep and he lost, he lost one. And Jesus made it very, I think he made it very clear. The, shepherd, the sheep didn't necessarily wander off. The shepherd lost the sheep. Now the shepherd's job was to keep all the sheep and to keep them safe. They knew each other. The sheep knew the shepherd's voice. The, the shepherd even named the sheep. So he had a hundred and he lost one. And I think the Pharisees were saying, I wonder if he's talking about us. Because we're supposed to be shepherds. But he didn't make that clear. So he told a second parable. A lady has ten coins. And she loses one coin. Now a lot of times they would have ten coins. They, they might have had like a, a, a dowry or something and they uh, might have wore those coins around their neck or whatever reason. And maybe that's all the ten coins. That may be all she had. I don't know. The, the story's not close there. But Jesus said she had ten. She lost one. What would you do? Coins are very valuable. It's probably very valuable to this person. Would you do what this lady did? This lady turned all the lights on, then opened the windows, swept the floors, looked under everything until she finally found the coin. And she said, and we're going to have a party. We're going to rejoice because I had ten. One I lost, but I found it. And it's very valuable to me. It's a very valuable thing. And again, what did the people at that time hear? I think they heard how valuable things are. If you look at that verse 1 and 2 again, the Pharisees and the law keepers did not think tax collectors or sinners were valuable. They weren't valuable to them. What was valuable to Pharisees and keepers of the law and teachers of the law was that people kept the law. Not sinners. And not tax collectors. Tax collectors were Jewish people who the Romans hired to collect taxes and collect fees. And they were not well thought of. They were not well thought of for two or three reasons. One, they was working for the Romans. But secondly, they were cheating people. And this passage starts out, and the passages before that, quite a bit of, uh, there's quite a bit of talking about that. This passage says, Jesus was, was meeting with, eating with, talking with those undesirable people. So he starts telling these parables and talking about how valuable those two things are. Well, we go to the third parable, and you know it. I'm not going to quote it. You know it. It's probably about a son 
we call it prodigal son, which prodigal doesn't necessarily mean he's wandered away. Prodigal really means he's lived a squanderous life. That's what the word prodigal means. But he comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance now. Well, that's not what usually happens. First of all, the father was alive. And he's wanting his share. He's the younger son. He only got a third. The older son got two thirds. But he wanted his third now. And most people would, when they heard this story, they would be shocked that Jesus was telling this story because those things didn't happen until the father died. The father was in charge of the family. But the father divided his inheritance. And the young son young son took his and went away. And it probably wasn't money. It probably was land. It probably was livestock. It probably was different things like that. But whatever the father had to do, he did. And he divided the inheritance. Y'all know the story. The young man went away. He lived like a king. He bought him a new Cadillac. He went to the best restaurants. He had the best friends because he had a lot of money. And not only was he foolish and he made a bad decision, instead of rough times hit, a famine hit, hardships hit, and different things like that. And pretty soon, he had to sell his car. He didn't have a car. He had to sell his things. He had, he, his friends quit coming around. He was broke. He was desolate. He, he didn't even have anybody that would help him get food. He finally hired himself out to a foreigner. He was in a foreign land. Jesus made sure that everybody understood this. He wasn't in a Jewish land. He was in a foreign land, which that was, that was low. And he was hired by a foreigner, which the Jews thought was even lower. And he lived day to day. He said he was feeding pigs, and he even long just to eat what they were eating, because nobody would give him any food. He got to the bottom of the barrel, and he said, I need to go back home. He said, maybe my father, I don't deserve to be a son, but maybe he'll hire me as a, as a, as a, as a servant, because they're living better than I am. Most people here think that's when he repented. I tend not to think that. I tend to think that was his scheme. He'd run out of everything else to do. I'm going to return back to the Father and see if he'll hire me. And boy, that's a good idea. So I'm sure on his way back to his Father, that's what he was planning on uh, talking about and, and he was rehearsing his words, which sometimes I wish I would rehearse this a little bit more. But, uh, you know... You, you think about what you want to say. And when he gets to the Father, well, let's back up. What do you think the Pharisees thought at this point? The Pharisees listening to Jesus' story and the son spent all of his money and hit rock bottom and said, I'm going to go back to my father. What do you think the Pharisees thought? Huh, 
I can't, I can't wait to hear the rest of this story. I bet the father is really going to get him. He is going to set him straight. He's going to tell him, I told you so. I can, I can just see the Pharisees smiling, can't you? When the, when the son was far off, the, uh, the father saw him. The son probably thought, yeah, I'm fixing to get it now. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's decision time. What's going to happen now? And so he started practicing again. And it said, the Bible, Jesus said, the father ran to the son. Jewish fathers didn't run. Most time they were in robes or something that had tied a robe up. But they, they, it's undignified. The father was undignified to run, but he ran. I'm sure the I'm sure the son still thought, "Oh no, here he comes." But he started his spell, and and the father said, "Be quiet, be quiet. You're here. You're back. Go get a robe. Go get a ring. Go get some sandals." Give him something to wear. He probably looked pretty bad. He probably smelled pretty bad. He didn't have any shoes. Go get him all of these things that he needs because my son is back. And we're going to have a party. We're going to kill the fatty, the fatty calf. Now, they didn't, they didn't have fatty calves. That was, a, that was a real reward. Maybe once in a lifetime, maybe once a year, they might have had a big banquet like that. That, that didn't happen. Kill the fatty calf. That didn't happen. And I'm sure the Pharisees thought, why is Jesus telling this story? That, that younger son doesn't need, doesn't deserve this kind of stuff. So I'm sure the Pharisees got really mad about all of this. Jesus tells those three parables to get to the fourth story. That's what this parable is really about. The fourth story. The older son was out in the field and he, and he got near the house and he heard the celebrations and he, he called for certain and said, what's going on? And they said, well, you're, you're, you're younger, your brother's back and we're having a party. And the older son said, what? The guy that spent all of his money? He's back? The guy that had terrible living? He's back? And the father's celebrating? We shouldn't be celebrating. We should make him pay the price. Like the Pharisees wanted to do for the tax tax collectors and the sinners. Make them pay the price because they don't live by the rules. So the father found out the young son wouldn't come in, so he came, he came out to the son and he said, what is going on? And, and the, the older brother says, well, that son of yours is back, I hear, and you're throwing him a party. He didn't even say his brother. He said, that son of yours is back and you're celebrating. I don't understand why. And you know, growing up, I read that story and I said, that's not fair. Why does somebody who's lived a terrible life come back and, and get rewarded? I don't understand. That's not fair. Because that's what he was saying. It's not fair. Let me tell you three 
three quick stories or whatever. West County Mayor, we, we ran line, one lines out into the county. And we always had a grant to do those things, and it was a low to moderate income grant. I don't want to get too... But you had to be low to moderate income, or a percentage of the people, 50% of the people had to be low to moderate income, and you had to have 10 people per house, and the whole thing added up to, you had to, you couldn't have high income people who, or you wouldn't get the grant. Now, people in this county are not high income anyway, but a few were. So we had laid out this, this big project. And pretty soon this lady called me and she said, uh, you're putting in water lines close to my house. I want to be included. And I, th I thought a little bit and, and I said, well, ma'am, and I'm trying not to say her name, but because this is a true story. I, I said, well, ma'am, I said, you live two miles from where we plan on putting a water line and you own all of the property on both sides of, of the road for two miles. And I said, if we added you to the project, the project would be would be too much weighted towards um, a wealthier person. And so, so we can't run it those two miles to your house. And uh, her comment was, I am so sick and tired of all the poor people getting stuff. You know, because she was wealthy. But she wanted her share, it wouldn't fare to do that. I think the Pharisees are kind of like the, the story of this man went to heaven and he got to Peter's gate and Peter says, well, we're going to decide if you get to enter or not. And he said, you have to have a thousand... Now, this is not true. This is not a true story. This is not even good theology. But Peter said, you have to have a thousand points of good works to get in heaven. So the man thought, he said, just go ahead and repeat it and I'll give you some points. So the man started. He said, well, I've been Christian since I was 12 years old. I taught Bible classes. I, I did everything in the world. I drove the scope the church bus. Um, I helped the elderly people. I adopted people. I was taking care of widows and orphans. I did everything possible there. Uh, I've lived a good Christian life. I had good Christian kids, and they're all in church, and I'm there every time the door is open. And he went on and on and on, and he went on. And Peter said... Well, let's see how many points you have for all that. He said, yep, I've added it up. You have one point. He said, one point? I need a thousand? So he thought some more, and he named off the next 50,000 things that he did, and he says, Peter said, you got two? Got anything else? And he shook his head and said, no. Peter said, well, go right on through that door right there. And he had a long face until he got through that door. And that was Jesus. And there was, there was a, the word, enter here by grace. So you can't get a thousand points. I used to teach right here. And I was talking about grace. And I was talking about Michael Jordan was, was big then. And I said, suppose you and Michael Jordan had a jumping contest. And you jumped up. Scotty, you and, you and your dad probably could do this. I, I jump up and I get about eight foot high. I might hit one of those, you know, every once in a while nine. 
back when I was in high school, maybe 10. I couldn't dunk it, but maybe I'd touch the rim. And Michael Jordan comes in and he jumps 10, 12, top of the backboards, 13, maybe 14. Maybe Michael Jordan can jump 15 feet high. If you were jumping towards the moon, who's really closer? Neither one, right? The moon's 186,000 miles, and Michael Jordan jumped 15 feet. He's never going to get to the moon, is he? And it doesn't matter if you jump 8 feet or you jump 15 feet. You're not going to get there. And that's what I think Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. You keep all the rules. You elder brother, you kept all the rules. But you weren't close to the Father. You never knew the Father. You stayed home. The younger brother went away. But while you were home, you were not close to the Father. You know, home really is where the Father's at. When the young guy came back, that's why I think when the Father hugged him, I think that's when he repented. He might have turned, but when the Father hugged him and said, put a robe, put him some good clothes on there, get that ring that says you're part of the family, get it back on your fingers. Get, get him some of the, some shoes because he's been walking barefoot. And by the way, let's have a party to do that. Coming home. That's what homecoming's kind of about. You know, some of you are home because you're home all the time. And you'd be very thankful for that. But let's never forget that home is where God is. When I come back in this building, it's kind of home. But when you led the singing and you singed and you prayed and you remembered Jesus through the Lord's Supper, that's home because that draws you into toward God. It's always good to go home. Cherish your home. Cherish everything you do. We sing a song of invitation, right? Here, okay? And uh it's at Murray Hills. We don't, we don't, there's a whole lot of things we don't do, and some things we do, and some we never know what we're going to do. So I never know exactly. But a sign of invitation says, "Come home. It's homecoming." You know, I drove 40 miles to come home, uh, and glad that I did because I see so many of you that I cherish your friendship and cherish how you help me become more spiritual. If there's any way this church can help you, if there's any way that you'd like to say that it's time for me to come home, now's a good opportunity to do that as we stand and sing. When we walk.